I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? <laughs> Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged, joined by Tim and Sam here in studio at the Credo House. Hello, hello, hello. Greetings. Credo House Ministries. Changed the name from Reclaiming the Mind Ministries to Credo House Ministries, but we're still concerned about the mind, right? That's right. That's right. That's why we're doing this. Haven't given up on it. We haven't. No, we're, uh, we're more No committed. change in philosophy that changed our name, right? That's right. We're we, more, we just built the Credo House here, and everybody started calling us Credo House. Yeah, so we just went with it. Yeah, we're just as committed to the noggin now as we've ever been. All right. Awesome. Um, continuing our discussion here on um, Invitation to Calvinism. We have got here real soon, though, Tim, coming yes. out the discipleship program. That's right. Tell us about it. We are so excited that uh, and so fired up about this. I think if we were more fired up about it, to, to borrow a phrase that I've heard recently, if we were more fired up about this, you'd actually have to light us on fire, I think. We are, we're pretty excited about the discipleship program. What it is, it is going to be a DVD a 10-session DVD curriculum that is going to be perfect for small groups, Sunday school. We're going to, the DVD will 45 be minutes each. 45 minutes uh, per session, and then the DVD will be accompanied with a workbook, and then we're going to have an entire leadership guide video library on our website for someone who's walking someone through or walking a group through the discipleship program. Michael and I are going to do all sorts of short videos saying, you know, this is what you can expect in conversation and questions from this session and different things. So we're seeking to really equip you with discipleship in addition to the DVD and workbook we're going to come out at the same time with a discipleship book. And so the book will focus on the same subject as the 10-session the DVD does, but it'll be great for first for groups that just aren't into doing the, the video stuff and still want to do a study together, but then also where it'll be helpful is uh, for those sections where, for instance, we spend a whole session on talking about the Trinity, we spend a whole session talking about the hypostatic union of Christ, and where the book can be really helpful because we'll be able to go into more detail, use more illustrations, and uh, and it'll be something that you can more meditate on for those sessions. And so real quick, the first five weeks are on orthodoxy. So we're covering what are those foundational, uh, essential beliefs of, of someone so that after 20 years that you've been a believer, you're not looking back and saying, wow, I wish I would have believed in the Trinity from the beginning because this or is really... Or believe rightly in the Trinity. Or believe rightly, yeah, exactly. and, and just feel like you've lost some years in not uh, more accurately knowing you know i look as as looking at my wife patty and if someone came up to me at the beginning of our marriage and said you know i've known i've known your wife for two thousand years do you mind if i if i just sit sit aside and tell you a little bit about her and tell you what what i've learned collectively uh, before you start this journey of your marriage i'd be a fool to say no i don't want to know about that i'd say yes because that's going to really inform i just keep on thinking our of patty relationship two thousand years old yeah well she's 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 aged very well she's <laughs> she's very beautiful for being uh, such a uh, mature, I won't say old woman, but such a mature woman. So the first five weeks are essential beliefs, and then the next five are we're historically looking at the practices, orthopraxy. What are the practices that 
the church for all time has said, do these things. And what we have learned is that this will help you become more of a mature disciple. And so we're so excited about this. Uh, we're filming the second half of it right now, and uh, we're excited to have it available in May. So please right. look for it. Yeah, if you're on our email list, you'll be seeing updates about it and stuff. Uh, we're hoping to come out with an iPhone app that has the entire discipleship program on it as well. Uh, so look for all those we're resources. Where are we going to? We're going to, yeah. Right. Hoping in the sense of... If of, the Lord doesn't come first. Yeah. That's the yeah. only thing that's going to hold that back. Exactly. Like, this is a <laughs> irresistible perseverance type issue here that All we're right. going to do. So. Well, speaking of, Sam, uh, we're going to be talking here now about the last uh, letter in our inspired flower, right? Is that a yes. good way to put it? I would just say flower, but okay. still. <laughs> our tulip, and that is the P, um, which we call Perseverance of the Saints. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, it is kind of the capstone on uh, uh, our discussion of the so-called five points of Calvinism. Total depravity, the idea that we are conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Um, uh, You, unconditional election, that God, rather than consigning all of the human race uh, to eternal condemnation, which they justly deserved, has mercifully and graciously chosen to elect some uh, to inherit life. L, those whom God has chosen, he sends his son in their stead to die as a substitute, to propitiate or satisfy the wrath of the Father at the cross. Uh, Last week we talked about I, those whom the Father has elected, for whom the Son has died, are irresistibly or efficaciously drawn to faith and repentance by the Spirit, And P, that those who were elected for whom Christ died, who are drawn by the Spirit to faith, will be preserved in their faith until their final breath. In fact, some uh, don't even refer to this as perseverance of the saints. They call it preservation by the Savior. Mm -hmm. Because the emphasis is not so much that we persevere, although we do, but it is because God chooses to preserve us in our faith and to keep us secure in the face of temptation and wandering and backsliding and uh, our sometimes our our willful rebellion against our heavenly Father, He will preserve us until life's end in such a way that we will persevere in the faith to which He has drawn us. Which which seems to be a more biblical way to look at it, and it still starts with P, so it works out perfectly, right. perfectly. <laughs> which I use a P as well. So, Mr. Patton, would you take it from uh, this point? I can't follow that, brother. (laughs) Please? (laughs) Okay, I'm on a roll, but I'm done, man. This is pathetic. (laughs) Oh, profound, profound. I can't even get one. (laughs) Okay. No, 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 I got got something. Okay, perhaps. (laughs) Um, We've got this uh, Perseverance of the Saints. We've got sometimes it is called eternal security. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is called once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. Tell me about this uh, because you've got lots of people believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, right? You got uh, even people who are Arminians sometimes believe this. Is am I right? I mean, the, didn't didn't the uh, the canons uh, uh, or the remonstrance, whenever they discussed this, say concerning whether or not someone can lose their state of grace, we have yet to 
Yeah, Arminius himself uh, wrestled with this, and uh, there's some Arminian scholars who believe that he never resolved the issue firmly in his own mind. Some believe he believed in perseverance, and others that he did not. Um, yeah, the, the language that you just used, uh, eternal security, once saved, always saved. There is a horrible misconception that is associated with this terminology that we need to dispel right from the start. And that is the idea that is uh, when we articulate this belief that, oh, I know what you guys are saying. Once a person believes in Jesus, they are forever and finally forgiven and saved, even if they go out and live like hell. Hmm. Even if they go out and uh, live a life of uh, rampant, unrepentant fornication, or they become adulterers and they uh, live in that lifestyle uh, forever, even if they um, uh, embezzle and steal and they show no signs of having ever uh, known Jesus, even if some would say they apostatize from the faith. Mm. Even if they turn from Jesus and repudiate and reject him at some point, oh, but they walked an aisle, they raised a hand, they signed a decision card, and Mm. once they were saved, they are therefore always saved. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about perseverance. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card that you carry around and pull out any time that you have some type of problems. Yeah, I I know one person that um, this is all (laughs) they bank on, uh, and mm. I, I've never seen anything in their life or their confession or anything else that would alert me to their life in God or life in Christ, yet they have this in their office, these few eternal security verses that are hung up on mm. there, and, and they're, they're hanging on them. Now, I, I don't want to undermine what it does mean that we are eternally secure because we are in the flesh. And sometimes whenever we are believers, we sometimes do things that, that we feel as if, wow, this is, this is, you know, I'm living according to the flesh or I fell according to the flesh or, you know, I, I King David after, you know, his, his, uh, experience with, uh, Bathsheba said, let the joy of the salvation return to me. You lose the joy of the salvation. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a balance and a tension here because, one of the things that we don't want to do is eternally secure people in insecurity, right? I mean, right. Th- th- there is a sense in which we can uh, take this doctrine and pin it up and hang it from our our uh, rearview mirror, you know, these few verses, and just say, oh, yeah, I'm okay, and and be secure in insecurity. But there's also a sense in which we want you to know, you know, that that – Nothing can take you away from God's hands whenever you trust in him. And it's the balancing of that. And sometimes we go one direction or another with this. Like uh, John 10, 27 through 29, uh, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all even greater than ourselves, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So what you're saying is, Michael, is that that should give comfort to to us. That should give us not fearing, oh my gosh, in the next hour, am I going to do something that that gets me where I'm no longer in, uh, in comfort, Christ? Comfort, but as you were talking about, not but, licensed. But not licensed. But yeah. not licensed. Some yeah. people would, would want to take off on that passage, Tim, and others like it. And say, oh, well, that's so reassuring. I know that nobody can snatch me out of the Father's hand. Therefore, 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go live it up. Yeah, and let me enjoy I don't this. I have to one. live in fear that uh, I'm going to find on the final day that I'm outside the gates of the New Jerusalem because again I I made that decision. I walked the aisle. I signed the card. I raised the hand. Uh, that is a perversion. There's another P word. That I didn't know. <laughs> That's a perversion of perseverance. Uh, that is not what we are saying. Uh, I think one of the most important verses on this issue is the one in First Peter chapter one, verses four and five, or actually starts back with verse three, where Peter says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's an inheritance kept in heaven for you. But then here's what he says in verse 5. You who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a Mm. salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the way in which God preserves us is through our faith, not irrespective of our faith. Mm. It is through sustaining us in a relationship with Jesus, even when we do wander. And and people don't ever get the idea we're suggesting Christians can't backslide. They can. Christians can fall into horrendous sin. Hmm. They can uh, grieve the Holy Spirit. They can spend years uh, wandering from the Lord and in rebellion. But what we think these texts are telling us is that if they are truly God's elect and have been born again and brought to faith in Christ— that the Spirit of God has not abandoned them and will preserve them and eventually restore them um, unto the vibrancy of the faith that they once experienced. Well, here's where I get <clears throat> a little bit confused, and I'm sure some of our listeners sometimes do as well, is that we're talking about the faith. When we talk about perseverance of the saints, and I do like the word perseverance the best because it does speak towards the indicator of God's life within us, not the, the, the candle not going out as it were. Maybe flicker, maybe die down some here and there, but it's not ever going to go out. It's going to. No, why do you like that? Why do you? It seemed to me like you should like preservation more than perseverance. Well, because it's the indicator from our side. Okay. From, from our side, from your the, only, perspective. The, the thing that we're saying is that your faith will remain. And, and as you said, it's not going to be as if you can apostatize from the faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 uh, I like the passages in Revelation to him who overcomes, you know, our faith will ultimately overcome because God is the one who's wrought it within us, as we've been talking about, uh, through these sessions. However, y- you wonder how it is considering this and maybe this is a side thing and you guys tell me if you want to go on with this or not but how how is it that you and I can know whether we're, our faith is going to persevere because this is where people come in and even the Roman Catholic Church has an official stand on this i mean this is dogma and you're anathema if you believe that you can be certain of your salvation mm-hmm. that your faith is the type of faith that perseveres into the until the end and somebody's listening to this saying, gosh, if my faith is the indicator of the perseverance, and, you know, we know God is the one who is giving us our faith and, and keeping us in the faith, but how am I going to know the candle's not going to go out? And, and in the end, I'm going to be one who does not persevere. And I talked last time about the Lutherans and their differences here with regards to this. The elect's faith will persevere. And they believe kind of in this idea that you can be saved, but you won't persevere unless you're elect saved. And so 
how can you tell? That that's the thing. There's four seeds, four soils. One of them, we're definite, we're good there because the devil comes and eats it up and it never takes root. These are the people who never confess Christ at all in any sense. But there are those two that that don't persevere, that where they get thrown among the thorns and they get choked out and the worries of this world and the difficulties of life come in. And But, but it does take root, and that kind of scares me a little bit mm-hmm. because it takes root for a time. And here I am. Uh, 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 trying to distinguish my own faith between the faith that's going to last and until it is tested, you can't really know, at least in this parable. The next one falls among the rocks, and the rocks are the the desires of this world begin to take away your faith, you know, and you find later on, and it says after a time, that's Mm -hmm. the thing, after a time, it falls away. Mm-hmm. Well, how much time? After a week? After a month? After a day? After ten years? Yeah. <clears throat> and then finally, the last one that does take root and bears fruit. And it's trying to distinguish between these because here's what I usually tell people when we're talking about perseverance of the saints and we're talking about those who do fall away is that I do believe there are people that have a certain type of faith that will fall away. And I and I actually believe that especially here in, in the environment, the culture that we are in, that's that we've got a lot of that. And you know, what well, you're referring to a cultural Christianity, yes. especially we're in the South and the Bible Belt, where it's you know everybody is a Christian in the South. Exactly, and you think you're okay, you think you're saved, you think you believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Yeah, he's God, of course. You know. Um, yeah. It's the country music Christianity type thing where you can sing about Jesus anytime and plug in the blood of the lamb and be patriotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, but how do we know we're not this other seed that is not going to persevere? How does perseverance of the saints give me any, any comfort? Maybe it's not even meant to do that. Maybe this doctrine is not meant to come in and be a comforting doctrine, although I think there are passages in the scripture that seem to suggest that it is. Mm. How can it be any comfort to me whenever I don't really know whether my faith will persevere into the end? And I'm not going to tell the name of the person here because I don't want to get in trouble. But I remember a professor at our seminary who used to do that. A professor at, at the seminary mm. who would write in the middle of the conversation and say, well, you know, I'm not really sure if my faith is real. We'll see in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you're talking about just in the way that you said that. But uh, I yeah. could do one little thing with my voice to make you know for sure who it was. <laughs> I know I I could too, and we would love and you're to. You're very do tempted it. to, right? and, I, tempted. and I don't know who they're talking about, but I will find out after the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. But, but well, and and, and I would like, look at it. Oh, go ahead. I'm Sam. just going to say it seems like you're we're, we've just kind of moved into another area related to perseverance, and that's the issue of assurance. Hmm. And we probably need to address both of those because you're asking, how can I be assured that I'm going to persevere? And that opens up a whole new um, uh, dimension of of text and issues that we would have to address. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Tim. I interrupted you. No, I, mean, I, I agree, too. That's kind of what I was thinking, too, is we run into people, and, and Sam, I think based on some what you said earlier, it would seem, I think what we're not saying here, though, is that every person's life, the last five years of everyone's life, they're the closest to Jesus that they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's what we're saying in Perseverance of the Saints no, or Preservation, because... 
is is that you die in the faith. Yeah, and, and you could be a lot weaker in the faith, in in a sense. And and the reason why I say that is because we're dealing with so many of the people right now that are going through doubt. Yeah, or or you know you hear stories of of the pastor who everything seems to point that this person had a passionate walk with Christ, really loved Christ, you know, wept when they worshipped and all these things, and then they die in a car accident with a mistress next to them or something like that, you know. And there's a woman in the car, and they say, well, who's this woman or something, you know? And you wonder, well, are they falling away, you know? And those are messy situations. Situations, but uh, and that might be an extreme example. But there are those examples where everything seemed to point that this person was a believer. But then towards their li- end of their life, you know, you could even say Martin Luther towards the end of his life seemed to really be thinking weird thoughts based on health problems. And you know, you can if you 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 have some sort of a health issue where you start or you know Alzheimer's or different things where it just it points to this person didn't die at the top of their spirituality, so to speak. Did they still persevere, though? Yeah, it, it ra- there's so many questions here are raised. Obviously, we're going to have to do another program on this because we yeah. have so many texts that, that are just coming to mind that we need to address. <clears throat> but um, what I hear you saying, Michael, and I would agree with this, is that there is a kind of faith, and we may want to put the word faith in italics or quote marks or a small f, but there is a kind of faith in which people come to some measure of understanding of the gospel. They might even get involved in a church, go through a membership class, join, be active and involved, uh, seem to give expression to the life uh, that we would expect of a Christian, and yet they are not wholly committed. They're not genuinely trusting in the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross for their salvation, but they enjoy the experience. They like the uh, atmosphere. They enjoy the music. They like the fellowship. Uh, Maybe they uh, do believe in the existence of some sort of supreme being, and they acknowledge the goodness of a man named Jesus. There can be what we would call false faith, a spurious type of uh, self-delusion. People actually convince themselves they are Christians when, in fact, they are not. Uh, we have to think about somebody like Judas Iscariot. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I, I think we would agree that Judas was not born again, but did he think that he was? Did he? He was in the very presence of Jesus. There's every indication that he performed miracles by the power of the Spirit in the same way the other disciples did. Mm-hmm. He heard the the, uh, the sermons and the messages of our Lord. He 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 witnessed him firsthand, and yet. Um, the life of uh, of regenerating grace, I do not believe, was in this man. Are there people like that in the the local church? And the answer is yes. Now, for people who are saying, "Well, how do I know I'm not one of them?" That's mm-hmm. the question you're raising. Mm-hmm. How do I know that my that I'm not deluding myself in this matter? That is a, a major issue, obviously, that sometimes requires a lot of pastoral counsel and care and uh, trying to dispel. The, the reasons why people are living in doubt. And, well, he, here's the yeah. thing that I often think of whenever I'm, whenever I'm talking to people about this and whenever I'm thinking about it myself is that whenever the Holy Spirit comes into your life, I think there are certain indicators. And, and I don't think those indicators happen to be that, boy, this Christianity thing is pretty cool. You know, all my friends are. And, and, and I, yeah, Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can make a cent to that. You mm-hmm. know, just this kind of 
it, it seems to be fine. I've even looked at it maybe historically, and it seems to be okay. But uh, but I think the primary indicator is that you begin to, <clears throat> for for lack of a better way of saying it, you begin to smell the stench of your own depravity, and you hate it. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's this turning in the sense of you're not turning to God because it's kind of a cool thing, and yeah, all right, this is all, what everybody's doing, and it seems to be right. It's that I have got to find a remedy for this this depravity that yeah. this God have mercy on me, the sinner. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I just don't think anybody that can, can ever come to that point where you really recognize your own sinfulness and you call upon him for mercy for it and not be of the Holy Spirit. So recognizing your sinfulness and recognizing a Savior that will rescue you from yourself, really. And I think like you, I think a good way to diagnose this sometimes is to just try and find out what someone's trusting in. And I think that's many times what can can reveal things, you know, where ultimately are you trusting that you in your baptism as an infant? Is that what you're really trusting in for salvation? Are you trusting in a date? You your know, church, a, a, April fourteenth, nineteen eighty two, that's that's where I stake my claim, or do you stake your claim on Christ? You know, are you staking your claim that your marriage is improving, that that you don't swear as much as you used to, that you don't drink as much as you used to? Is that is that what you tell people? Or are you staking your claim on Christ who is rescuing you from those things. Well, let me tell you where some of this is coming from, and I know it's off, and I said at the beginning this may be a parenthetical thing that uh, I want to talk about for a little bit, and we've got lots to be able to do more on this and cover scriptures and objections yeah. in the Hebrews passages. And But you, you, we deal with so many people here at the Credo House, Tim, yeah. that are dealing with doubt. Yeah. I deal with so many people that are former evangelicals, you know, former apologists. And that's kind of what they put out there and and say, former evangelical so-and-so is coming to speak about why he left the faith, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and those types of things. And I also, very personally, and I, I must bring this up, I deal with my sister who was in the same sense as me, brought up in the same home. We had the same conversations, went to the church. She supported me through seminary, even took classes with me at seminary. We we, we separated prayer lists at the church, you know, and you pray for this half, I pray for this half. We, she called me about her friends that were unbelievers. Okay, what should I say to them about this because they're doing this? Every indication, you know. And then whenever she went through her depression, um, began to... I mean, just ask all these questions. Lord, Michael, how do you know that God really exists? You know, I mean, I'm like, Angie, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, here's, here's how I do it. Okay, can you tell me again how you know that God exists? Can you tell me again why you think this is right? And then later on, Michael, I don't believe God anymore, you know? I don't believe he'd leave me in this circumstance. Very emotional thing that she was going through. But, but seemed to, towards the end of her life... Her faith just slipping further and further away. Now, the thing that I always do tell people is that whenever she died, she had Chuck Swindoll's day by day opened up in front of her, like trying to hang on to the faith at that point. Mm. When we're talking about perseverance of the saints, are we saying this, that your faith in your life, you will always have it to some degree? Is that what we're saying? Well... Well, yes, but I mean, just if I could just use your, take your language there. You said she was trying to hang on to her faith through the midst of this. And I think what we have to come back to, at least that I do, is that the real key thing is is that God was hanging on to her. Mm. Um, 
even if our grip on God seems to be loosening and we're finding uh, these doubts that cause us to, to wonder, should I just simply let go altogether? What I have to ultimately fall back on and trust in is the words of Jesus and Paul and others that if, in fact, I was truly born again by the Spirit of God, God's grip will not loosen on me. He will not let me go. I am kept by the power of God through faith. Now, that faith may not be as robust and rigorous and vibrant and joyful and confident at at all times. And maybe in the case of your sister, that faith can go through seasons of weakness and waning but it, if she was born again of God, it will never disappear. It will always be present. That, that degree of perseverance will always um, exist. And it exists not because of the strength of your sister's will, but because of the strength of God's covenant commitment in Christ to uphold and preserve her in that faith. Mm. Well said. Eternal security, perseverance of the saints... Easy believism. Some now it's once saved, always saved. That's the other term for it. Lots of different terms for this. That's what we're going into. Lots of terms that we don't like for this um, because we think it miscommunicates. But next week we're going to have to dig right into the scripture. We haven't even really touched on the scriptures that involve this and mm-hmm. and look into it, see if the Bible teaches this, and then look at the objections. So I hope you hang with us. This is an important issue. There's all kinds of arms that come out of this into other areas. And I know that you guys have questions about this, and I know that these are very relevant questions, especially you know to uh, today, whenever there's so much skepticism in the world, and so many other options, and so many things that pull at your faith, and and you know as Christ said, when the Son of Man returns, will there be faith on the earth? I think what we're saying is this: that if you have wrought faith in our heart, there will be, but yet there's this tension that is involved that says we exhibit that faith and we are responsible to hold on to that faith even though ultimately, if we hold on to it, it's from God. Yeah, and I would just encourage our listeners to, between now and the next time we address this, to read and meditate on John six thirty-seven through 40. Um, not just simply because it's red letters, but it is the words of our Lord. And these these verses are so powerful, and uh, it will, I think, in the coming days as we talk about some of the problem passages. And there are problem there are problem passages for this point, as much as there were with L for limited atonement. Mm-hmm. The L and the P are the two most problematic in terms of just dealing with texts of scripture. Mm-hmm. But I would just encourage people to listen and let the Spirit of God. Uh, take the words of Jesus and ask yourself what this could possibly mean. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, and I could even say to you, Michael, Angie, your sister, if indeed the Father gave her to Jesus and she came to him in genuine faith, Jesus says, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. People say, what's the will of God for me with regard to my ultimate salvation? Well, here's Jesus telling you, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, nothing, Mm. 
of all that he has given me. So all of the elect whom he has given me, I will lose nothing. That is the will of God. But I'll raise him up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is a passage worthy of memorization and meditation as we probe more deeply into some of the the problem text and some of the other practical issues. All right, John chapter 6. We seem to be going back there quite often. Mm -hmm. Folks, uh, thanks for joining us for yet another invitation to Calvinism, and we will continue this next week. Until then. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.